Welcome to the Jack and John podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm John. And we're on a mission. To help you focus on Christ. <laughs> well, Jack, we're in the book of Mark. Yes, we are. And uh, it's moving right along. Um, we're in chapter 6 now, and I'm just going to read the first little section, and then we're going to tackle it, okay? So here we are. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, um, and I would encourage you to, you know, dive into some other versions, too, and read it just to give it a little more depth and a little more flavor for you. Um, so here we go, chapter 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Well, we've been there before with the, with Jesus yeah. in the, on the Sabbath. Yeah, it's like, the Sabbath day. Okay, that's, that's sort of like saying, cue the Pharisees. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, but he had to... Uh... He had to go where the people were. That's right. Yeah, and that's right. where they were. So, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And then, you remember, this is his hometown in Nazareth. Right. So they say, is, this, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went he went about among the villages teaching. Well, you know, a, a person's unbelief limits Jesus. Sure. And their unbelief limited him. He had so much he could have done. Uh, he could have helped. He could have changed lives, multitudes. But they had a bad attitude toward Jesus right. uh, because of, I guess, their uh, familiarity with him. And I think it's interesting that they ask all these questions. And I don't think that they're the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're the right questions. Maybe if you, if you uh, come face to face with Jesus and, and uh, you're, you're coming to faith or coming to belief, you need to ask some questions and get the answers to the questions. So the questions, I think, were the right questions. I think their answer was wrong. Yeah. Because when they immediately said all those questions and then, then the bottom line was, uh, and they uh, were what a, a, a fence. They took offense. Yeah. That's what. Yeah, they took offense at him like, instead of believing in him. It's kind of like saying, "Who does he think he is? <laughs> He's just one of us." Didn't I go to school with him? You know. Well, they, they were they know, were prejudiced. Like, yeah, against their yeah. Uh, hometown boy. And I, I find myself. Uh, being a little guilty of that sometime, not with respect like to Jesus in this sense of the story, but you know, there'll be some young man or young woman that grows up uh, behind you in your church or your community, mm-hmm. uh, and then they become something, but it's easy to still look at them as that that kid, you know, that you that you knew. You know, it's sort of like when I became a, a, a doctor. There were still some folks I grew up with that just couldn't picture me that way because I was still that bratty little kid running around in church and causing problems. And When I was yeah. in high school, there was a young man that was a grade under me. It's a fine young man. I liked him. But uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't see him as 
extremely gifted. I sure. mean, he didn't stand out in school. You know, he didn't. He wasn't in the uh, National Honor Society. Or he wasn't in the the government of the high school or anything. Just kind of a normal guy. And uh, I graduated, and I had a girlfriend that was still in high school. I married her, and uh, so I went back to the senior play. And lo and behold, he was there singing the lead role in My Fair Lady. He was singing Henry Higgins. And he blew me away. I mean, I'm falling out of my chair. I'm going, my goodness, he can sing. Unbelievable. He's talented. He can act. Uh, I never thought he could do that. Well, lo and behold, he went to Broadway. He he was the original Javert in Les Mis. He was the original... Beast in Beauty and the Beast. Oh my. He was Rum Tum Tigger in Cats. Wow. And he has had a, a, a full, unbelievable career on Broadway. And I just thought he was well, a little Terry Mann. No, he's Terrence Mann, one of the mainstay actors on Broadway. So I underestimated him. He, he, uh, I envy what, what he yeah. did and what he experienced. So what a great, 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 great. That, that is a great <laughs> comparison because Jesus has done so much I, I more than, than Broadway. I mean, I, I like that comparison, though, because here you, you look at a guy and it's like, well, he's just this, he's just this a regular kid, old guy. this regular guy. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think if we, if we boil it down, that's part of what, God's getting at with this whole story. Mm-hmm. You back it up to you know John chapter one and verse fourteen, and the Word became flesh right. and dwelt among us. It's like, yeah, the whole point of this is He is one of us. Yes, you know. The sad part of this is they missed the person of Jesus, right? And they missed His influence, right? Uh, they missed the blessings. They missed the miracles. They missed all that He could do for them because of their prejudice against him uh, because he was a child when they knew him and he comes back home they should have checked into him a lot of people came to hear him so it was probably pretty disappointing and uh, there's a I think that there's a, a bit of a shift here in the life of Jesus and I think it shifts this way and it's going to shift in the, what he does next mm-hmm. but uh, he is sent to be a servant he is the servant king, right? And that's kind of, I think, the theme of Mark, he, the servant king. And uh, what happens is when he sees this disbelief and when he gets this prejudice and when uh, his influence is set back and he is limited in his miracles and what he can do, he then begins to pass his authority on to the disciples, uh, he's going to give the authority to teach and uh, to heal and uh, uh, bring out demons and all of these things to the disciples. The question is, can they catch the vision, right? Can they uh, do everything that uh, Jesus did? Are they going to be able to hand the, handle the authority? Are they going to be able to teach and amaze people with their teaching? Are the disciples going to be to Uh, be able to duplicate the actions of Jesus and probably more um, of the wonder, are they going to be able to reproduce the results of Jesus? And so I think that's what you see here. You see Jesus' ministry moving from uh, servant to suffering, Mm -hmm. suffering Savior. Because from here on out, folks, 
The Pharisees attack him. People don't believe him. He's inundated with the crowd. And all of this weighs on him and bears down on him. And we see now the suffering Savior handing over his authority to now the servants that are going to go out and spread the gospel to the whole world. I see it too as a, you know, the writer in me sees this as a foreshadowing of what's going to come because, you know, the disciples are still at this point where in their minds, Jesus is going to bring an earthly kingdom. You know, he's here to establish God's kingdom on earth, but they're not seeing it yet as a spiritual kingdom. Um, And so they don't have it in their mind that that he's going to die and that he's going to raise from the dead. And they certainly don't have it in their mind that he's going to leave them and go back to heaven. Um, So they're in the dark on this. So, you know, in in that standpoint, it's more like a foreshadowing. Let's let's go ahead and read on. We're going to start here in verse seven. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Amazing. So here these guys are going out with the authority to do these things. And uh, they're doing these things and many are healed and they're seeing many miracles. And I'm sure they're teaching with authority because the people are still coming. But that one thing that always kind of stuck out to me was the instructions to Jesus when they weren't received, when they when people didn't accept the message, what they were to do and they were to move on. Right. And move on and leave those people to God. Maybe God would bring someone else into their lives later on. We don't know. But what we do know is that uh, he did not want them bogged down in a place that uh, experienced disbelief, unbelief, did not accept the message. And I think sometimes, John, to bring that to today, sometimes I think we as the church get bogged down in that. And I know that I opened myself up to a lot of criticism there to say that. Don't want to shock you. But we need to be the church on the move, the church on the go. I think sometimes the church, in my experience, has gotten stuck in, in um, things that aren't essential. Uh, style of music. Um, certain kind of uh, pews or a building or a piano or an organ or whatever. You stick anything in that blank and anything that is not essential and get so stuck on that that we become divisive and we, we aren't moving on in our uh, witness and spreading the gospel and growing the body of Christ. Um, Jesus says, hey, if you get disagreement, if people won't receive it, if they're not open up to the truth of the message, knock the dust off your feet and move on to the next one because maybe they will. And I think that's maybe a little hard teaching, but I think that makes sense. 
Yeah, there's a there's an unspoken part of that story too, because when he's saying shake the dust off of your feet, mm-hmm. um, what that implies in that culture is that if if you are received into someone's house, the lowliest person in that house, like a child or a servant, or sometimes even the the host, if if they've got enough humility. Well, wash your feet, you know. Here, you know, I've got some friends that, uh, you know, they, they want their house to be pristine, and I don't fault them for this at all, but it's just a normal take off thing. Your shoes. Yeah, I take <laughs> off my shoes when I get in their house. Um, and, uh, you know, make sure I'm wearing really clean socks, too, you know. Um, no but, holes. Yeah. If oh. your th- toes sticking but, out, that. But the idea, in part, was you know to keep your house clean, but it's also a way to accept and receive your guest. You know, Jesus is talking to uh, one of the Pharisees when he's in his house, and the 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 woman comes in and washes his right. feet, and they're all judging her. And what does he say? He says, "You nor your servant, nobody in here washed my feet." But this woman came in and poured herself into my life. She washed his feet with right. her tears. Right. She, she poured herself out to him. Yeah. And uh, so when he says they're not received, they're really not received because it's kind of like the salesman at the door, you know, and uh, it's like you haven't even opened the door. You're talking to him like through the screen or, you know, you got the door cracked or and, and I got to tell you, um, I'm one of those people. I, I I I repent of this, but we had this young man that was canvassing our neighborhood trying to sell replacement windows. And um I just I just cut him off and um my wife was kind of upset with me. Um, you treated him badly. You should have at least let him talk or, you know, listen to him. And I said, I wasn't interested in what he had to sell. And he's just trying to sell me something. Um, that guy was not received. Okay. So I'm pretty sure he kicked the dust off of his feet and maybe said a few words. I don't know. Um, and I did kind of feel bad because he was just trying to do his, his job, you know, but this is different. These guys are bringing, God into the, the the presence of these folks. Well, then let me let me use your illustration. Yeah. Okay. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. I'm gonna use your illustration. You may have had an opportunity to share a word of hope, a word of love, a word of the gospel, and I think we need to be thinking that way because I've had many people that have done the same thing too. Now Jack's telling me that that poor guy is doomed because I didn't. Well, now don't take it what I didn't say and take it to that level. Now I really do need to (laughs) repent. (laughs) So (laughs) that poor lost sinner. I'm sorry, John. Just trying to sell windows, and and I sent him to hell. No. (laughs) Well, I repent if that's true. Honestly, honestly, (laughs) if we all would take a little more seriously the opportunities that we have, and that is an opportunity. That could have been one of those moments where you know Jesus says you're entertaining angels. It could have been. It It could have been. Well, I don't want to. Deep, dig you too deep now into the hole. Derailed. I want to pull you out of the hole. Oh, uh, but I mean, those are the kinds poor of young man. <laughs> those are the kind of things that I think this is exactly talking about. Because right. look at the faith it took for those men to go out 
two by two on their own with nothing because they didn't have anything. You, you, here's a take a staff. Don't take your money. No belt. food. No, not even a second tuning right. to keep you warm. If one you know got a hole in it or something, or if one got stinky, or got yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it's like you're on your. So it took tremendous faith, and their whole purpose is right here. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Yeah. So the message of repentance, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and come to Jesus. And uh, sometimes I really do feel that we have opportunities every day with people to share a word of hope. And that word repent has, has taken a, uh, a strong negative connotation. And, and I think part of the reason why is because when people hear that word, uh, they see a snarling face and a pointing finger um, aimed at them saying, repent. Um, and in their mind, they're not seeing a disciple of Jesus standing there, you know, casting out demons and healing the sick. They just see a judgmental Pharisee that's pointing a finger as though they're, they're not guilty of anything themselves. Um, and, and I think that is the connotation that a lot of people think with that word repent. And if we look at the word in the Greek language, um, it basically means change the way you think. Sure. It, it means change your thinking. Um, don't it, it, Paul says it really well in Romans 12 and verse one, when he's, he's talking about, you know, presenting your body as a living sacrifice, but he says, no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by changing the way you think by renewing of your mind. Um, that's what real repentance is. Now in the Hebrew language, the word that would be translated repent meant to to do a complete turnaround. Turn around. It's a, it's a one About face. Right. I'm going this way. Now I'm going to turn around and go this way. Um, but this is written in, in, in Greek. And it, it carries some of that same meaning. But it really is more just kind of change how you're looking at Jesus. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You and that's to, what. You got to change how you're looking at Jesus. That's what people were not doing. They weren't looking at him properly. Yeah. They weren't seeing him for who he was. And uh, this was causing great, great suffering for him. Now, I got to tell you, this is one of those stories where I'm always a little jealous because, you know, and, and I think there's good reason that God hasn't given us these gifts and abilities. But I'd like to be able to cast out an unclean spirit. And, and you know, I'm a doctor. I'd like to be able to heal people. Uh, years ago, I quit wearing the WWJD bracelet because I had this one poor man come in and I thought, man, I know what I would do if I was Jesus. I'd, I'd heal this guy. He wouldn't have to come see me anymore, right. you know, and that, and that, honestly, it became a frustration for me in that standpoint because um, I, I can only do so much. You know, he, he can do it. He can do it all. Um, and, and so when I read the story, it's like, oh, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus gave us that kind of stuff, but that's not what he's called us to do. That's not what he's called us to do. All right. You ready to read on? Sure. All right. Let's, let's, let's go on here. So still in chapter six of Mark verse 14, um, King Herod heard of it for Jesus name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Um, that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. 
But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard that he was when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and, and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias's daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. Here you go, Mom. Um, when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. John, do you notice something different about that? That portion of the Gospel of Mark? Yeah, it's sort of like a little tangent. It's, it's a little tangent. Do you yeah. know what I think happened? Nah, I, I'm just, you know, I'm saying. I'm just saying. You know, Mark, it said, was, was really writing down Peter's story. Sure. Peter was, and I think Peter kind of went off on this story of John the Baptist and Herodias and Herod and uh, just kind of went on a little tangent and started telling the story. And, and all of a sudden you see this uh, embellished story of evil against good, of Herod against John the Baptist, John the Baptist representing the good of God. Herod is just pure evil. And um, so I think he just kind of got to the details of this. It's sad uh, how the daughter is affected. It's sad how so many people are affected by the sin of Herod, Herodias, and Salome. But people are affected by our sin, by evil. And it's amazing how the good is overshadowed by the evil. Uh, but it really isn't. Because a lot of people name their sons John. Mm -hmm. How many Herods have you heard? Yeah. I've heard German shepherds named Herod. You mm -hmm. name your dog Herod. And you name your sons John. So actually in history and time, uh, good John bears out. But uh, this story of the, his death is so very sad because of the sin that was involved, because of how it affected so many people and, and how John uh, you know, had to die so violently. But we know from other scriptures that it was Jesus' time and John had to be less John even said that, that he may be more. And uh, so I think, um, yeah, I think Herod represents sin. And I think that Jesus then saw, and think about this, in the story of the death of John, his death. Because how does Jesus die? He's brought before a government magistrate. 
Yeah. The government, right? He was brought before Herod and then right. Pontius Pilate. Right. So it really smacks a little bit of the death of Christ. You mm-hmm. can see it in there. It's not a, not a stretch to, to see that. So I think it's valuable that uh, Peter kind of told us a little bit more about this story. And I think it bears looking into studying and really thinking about. This is part of the story um, of, of Jesus and his disciples that uh, I, I just feel it's so gut-wrenching because there's, in other Gospels, John sends messengers to Jesus when he's in prison um, because he's basically wondering, why, why am I here? Hmm. Um, I, I mean, Jesus is the Son of God. I, I know that, but do I really? Because why am I here? Why am I in prison? I mean, if he's the son of David and he's the, the king, why am I here? And then Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't worry about it. I'm going to get you out of there. You know, I can cast out demons. I'm going to get you out of that prison. No, Jesus says, you just need to believe yeah. be- because of what you've seen and and heard and the things that I've done. And I don't know what went through John's mind, but, you know, you're sitting there in prison. You've paved the way for Jesus to come in and establish his kingdom. And now you're, you're, you're just waiting at the mercy of Herod and the Roman government and wondering what's going to happen. Yeah, and I will tell you that some of us kind of tell a lie to ourselves that uh, we don't doubt, that mm-hmm. we don't question, that we don't wonder. But there is that time, I think, in all of our lives uh, when stress, strain, sin, uh, suffering, trials come, that maybe a doubt creeps in, maybe a wonder creeps in. And it's, it's in, in a way, kind of good to know that even the, John the Baptist right. had a moment where he wondered. And so we're, we're just human. And what John and Jesus both knew is that his death wasn't the end. Right. Yeah, right. it's not the end. So, well, Jack, we've kind of hit a lot of stuff in yeah. this, and we're not even through Six, the chapter, yeah. but um, I, I think this is a good place for us to, to wrap it up yeah. for today. Guys, we just loved spending some time with you, and we're happy to jump into the Scripture. Uh, if you have any insights that we've missed or something that you'd like to say or add to it, just please let us know. Um, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at connect at jackandjohnpodcast.com uh, or you see the number if you're uh, on the, watching on, on YouTube. And you can give us a call, leave a voicemail. Um, we'd just love to hear from you. And we'll see you next time. Yep. 